0: Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am your host for the evening, Troy Goodfellow. Uh, Tonight we are taking a look at one of the year's big early access hits, uh, a game that has become my comfort game, the thing I load up when I have 30 minutes to go, and it is uh, really something kind of special, I think I'll be gushing about it. So, uh... For such a special game, we have assembled a very special panel. We have brought back uh, the Game King from Gamers with Jobs, Sean Sands. Hello. The Editor-in-Chief of Waypoint, our dear friend Austin Walker.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: And after a very long hiatus, our very dear friend, founding panelist of Three Moves Ahead uh, from Gamers with Jobs, freelance writer Julian Burdock. Makes it makes it sound like I, like I died and stopped playing games or anything. Yes, no. You guys
2: been, got all serious on me.
0: It's been way too long, man. It has way been like long.
2: over a year. It's been a long
0: time. But we're thrilled to have you back to talk about uh, Megacrit Games deck building something... Uh, because opus.
1: I think opus, opus is what we'll call it. Opus. Rogue Opus. That's, yeah. You've heard of Rogue Lights. This is a Rogue Opus. That's Yeah, yeah we're going to get into that.
0: I'm not even sure it's a Rogue Light or Rogue Like at all. Uh, sure, fair. If you want to have that sort of genre fight. But it is Slay the Spire, uh, which has been in early access for about six months now, I think. Um, it is probably getting out of early access very soon. It is... Um, Adorable little deck-building game. Austin, uh, so let's start with you. Why don't you tell us what *Slay the Spire* is, how it plays, and what distinguishes it from other games like it, or are there games like it?
1: Sure. Um, so it is a uh, it is a a deck builder, uh, a single-player deck builder. Uh, currently on PC in Early Access, in which you are climbing a spire. And the spire is made up of a series of nodes that are kind of procedurally laid out, a a collection of enemy encounters, uh, random events with with kind of uh, narrative multiple-choice adventure-style choices that that all have really interesting tactical repercussions, um, and uh, kind of treasure chests, and then areas where you can kind of rest, upgrade cards, and, and maybe do some other stuff depending on some of the things you have collected over the course of your play. at a at a kind of at a micro level, what you're doing is you're 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 starting the game, and you have a collection of, of cards. You have a character, one of three starting characters, if you're playing the current beta branch build. Um, uh, and each of those characters has a special relic that grants them a special ability, and each has a, a set of starting cards. Um, as you might imagine, those cards are pretty similar, more or less, between the three characters. Though maybe the third one is is the most different out of the gate. Uh, they have basic attacks that you play a card, you do damage. It costs you energy. You know, you start with three energy cost you one, one energy and you do, you know, six damage. Uh, you have uh, you can raise your block to counter incoming attacks. Um, and uh, like one of my favorite other games this year, Into the Breach, uh, it is very clear what the enemy is going to be doing to you in any given turn. Their, their intentions are generally pretty clear, especially once you get to know what their special abilities are. It says, hey, I'm attacking, or oh, uh, this enemy is going to debuff you or uh, is going to put up a defense for themselves or one of their allies. And, and so you, you can kind of uh, attempt to counter that ahead of time. Um, as you win these fights, you begin to build a deck because it is a deck builder, like something like uh, Ascension or, or something like that. Um, and you do that by collecting cards per fight. And then also at certain points, uh, you, you, can, you can run into merchants, you can um, get special relics from certain fights, including boss fights. And those relics are, are kind of what really open this game up and help you produce really interesting builds. Um, so for instance, you might take the, the, um, the Silent... Is that the name of the the kind of middle class? Yeah. Uh, And build a, a, a variation on her that is all about poison and is all about poisoning an enemy. Um, and then doubling the poison amount and then exploding that poison to spread it to other enemy enemies nearby um, or other enemies in the, the that you're up against uh, or you might go a completely different route and make a very um, a, a, a silent who is built on free or low-cost cards filling her hand with zero cost low attacks but that due to a series of relics you might have can do way more damage than you might traditionally think or um, might trigger other abilities or powers that you that you come to play um, that is the very high level eventually you go on to fight a boss and you go to a second a second set of a second map and then you do that again and then you go to the third map and then you fight a boss who has either given me zero trouble at all or all of the trouble (laughs) in the world um, depending on my build because sometimes this is one of those games where you can totally stumble forward sometimes um out of sheer familiarity with what you're up against and and even though you may not have put together a great build
0: so Julian, you have like over a hundred hours into this. So this has really gotten a sucks into you.
2: Oh yeah. And, and I think it's because this harkens back to one of my favorite board game design uh, tropes, which is very simple rule set and then everything else in the game breaks it or modifies that rule set. And it builds slowly, um, which is the the fundamental sort of premise behind cosmic encounters was probably the first game to really do this with, uh, with aplomb and then magic, the gathering another Richard Garfield joint uh, that, that really s- took that to the next level. And the comparisons to magic here are completely fair, right? It's basically attack <laughs> versus defense. It's even simpler than that. It's almost, it's, it's, You know, it's closer to Pokemon and complexity at the core engine than even Magic. And everything else is broken by either what's written on cards or relics that you get, which sort of give you what I would call world states, or... Things that you play during the course of the game that give you uh, what I would call game states. Uh, like you can you can have a certain power in effect that just always gives you more block every turn, or something right, like that, or right. always gives you you know enhances your strength, which makes all of your attacks better. And that interaction between. What's written on the cards themselves, the world states, which are determined by the relics, and the game states, which are determined by things that happened on cards, things that happen with relics, or things that your enemy does to you, uh, makes for just this delicious level of complexity in what is fundamentally a dirt-simple system. Like, without any modifiers, you could teach this game to a five-year-old without any difficulty at all.
3: You know, it's one of the interesting things to me that you kind of touched on is is that sort of balance that they walk between complexity and simplicity, right? You can really dive into this game and analyze, like, I've I've, I've done this, I've gone this road, and analyze it at an unhealthy <laughs> degree, like, in just the interactions between how everything works. And yet I've never sort of sat down from the very beginning of the moment I, I, I started playing this game. I never sat down and I felt lost due to the mechanics. Like, it was not... It was very unusual that I found myself in a position playing uh, Slay the Spire where I was, where something happened that I didn't expect or I didn't anticipate because I didn't understand how different interactions worked or different, you know, mechanics. And it's funny because they have all these different things going on, right? It's, you know, I, I know we did, you know, kind of mention like comparing it to other card games like Magic. And I I, I think there is, there's a thread of that that's that's realistic and applicable but at the same time i mean magic is is an interaction of cards to cards very specifically in this game you have you know you have a store where you can buy stuff and you have these random events that can allow you to sort of upgrade and change and develop your cards and you have the relics which are fascinating they're like the core of the game they're the thing that they're the glue that brings everything together but the relics are really interesting because they are consistently breaking the game state in in remarkable ways like my favorite one um, is dead branch where anytime you know sometimes you play a card and it goes off the board it becomes what's called exhausted and the dead branch sets up so that anytime a card is exhausted a random card will just reappear in its place yeah and you can have these weird interactions where you can exhaust entire hands of cards just in great fell swoops, and you have this kind of random thing but but because I mean and there's so many different things that can happen and yet I've never felt like it's complex without being complicated does that make
1: sense right yeah totally totally, totally. one of the things that you that you touch on there too is and one of the things I didn't know how I would feel about in, until I started really playing was that like something like Hearthstone, it is very willing to go into directions that a true tabletop game could not do, uh, like randomization, like exhausting a card and pulling out a gray power or something like that, right? Where the you would have to dig through so many cards, you'd have to have a dedicated <laughs> deck of all random whatever cards to, 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 to pull into your hand in a situation like that. Uh, and it's something that... that had for whatever reason turned me off of hearthstone eventually the the kind of this the way that hearthstone relies sometimes on that randomization or allows for that randomization in a way that magic the gathering or netrunner or something doesn't really turn me off of, of hearthstone eventually but here i think because of the simplicity of the core mechanics I'm always able to figure out how to make something work in my in my strategy. There's always some well, way I Not can...
2: always. No, <laughs> maybe not always.
1: But 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 I guess the thing is that like that stuff doesn't happen so often that I'm not in a situation where yeah. I'm like, oh, I it got yeah. by the RNG. Fun. It doesn't sound like fun. You know what I mean? Fun. At yeah. the very least, yes. At the very least, something fun. Which is what I mean when I say a game works, right? Is oh yeah, I had a good experience, even if I'm like, ah. Does Velvet Choker is going to kill me or whatever well, the thing is. One of my favorite know?
2: things that this game will occasionally do is there are a couple of things that will uh, give you a game state called Confused. Yes. Which basically just randomizes the cost of every card that comes into your hand. And, you know, it's obviously a terrible strategy. You can actually get an item that you could choose to take from one of the bosses that will forevermore <laughs> make your hand confused. And it's... It's an okay strategy if at that point you have a deck full of very expensive cards, right. then you can, then that's fine. But you can't count on getting that item. So it's like you you sort of have to have accidentally invested correctly for that strategy to really pay off. But I still sometimes take it if I feel like I've got sort of a random build. I was working one thing and yeah. it didn't quite work out. I'll take that just because... Crazy crap will happen after that, <laughs> and you end up with these like insane combos of things going on that are just fun, even though I know the chances of me getting all the way to the end game here is pretty limited. I mean, the end game is what 25 wins, 30 90 wins. How many how many floors are There's there? 50, 50 floors,
3: yeah. So, so each one, no, no, when you fight no, the total, final boss, you're on the 50th floor,
2: okay. So it's like 15, 15, and 15? Something like that, yeah. But, know, Whatever, like that. however math <laughs> um, So even when I know I'm not going to get there because I've already crippled my build for some reason, I often still have a blast playing because there's usually some killer combo that will eventually come out. And, you know, you mentioned that there are three characters that you can play. Um, and, you know, broadly speaking, I think they're supposed to be sort of a straight up fighter type archetype yeah. a more wizardy mm-hmm. type archetype and then the latest one they just released which is the reject which is now actually in full release it's not just the beta branch it's
3: defect oh, yeah. I, just so we don't get the emails it's defect
2: the defect yeah. sorry he
3: looks like he looks like a Reject. Looks like a reject. Um, i think it's a fair name
2: <laughs> and he has a whole, whole totally different set of mechanics um that are really intriguing and really fascinating that are really all about sort of building i mean what you do is you're building orbs around your character but they sort of have a time component because every once in a while you'll take one orb off the front it does something super powerful and yeah. more orbs rotate in behind it so there's sort of a stacking and time management mechanic that gets really interesting there too
1: and the dark orbs the, there's nothing so so <laughs> that feels so good as Getting a dark orb stacked up to some in, incredible amount of damage, 42 damage, and then evoking it three times in a row somehow, mm-hmm. and yeah. just immediately incinerating a boss.
2: Well, um. and I, I was going to say that, that that those combos, that's one of the things that like old school magic was very satisfying once in a while, where you would get some crazy combo, which was like, my turn three win, I can do this and this and this, and the other person doesn't even get to play. And that makes for a really terrible <laughs> multiplayer <laughs> experience, but when you're playing against the computer like it doesn't get old it doesn't get old having some killer combo which is just like oh this should be a hard combat too bad i won with my first hand yeah it doesn't get old
3: i I want to end the i want to stick for a second on on the kind of randomization idea that that we were talking about because this is this is legitimately my my favorite thing about the game and it's my biggest problem you bring a parstone that's a great example magic the gathering like the there is a there is a degree of of randomness this is fundamental to any card game like this is not devoid of randomness but i feel like this card game is the one that i can most approach from a strategic perspective you can get to a point you can craft your deck in such a way that you could if you know if if you really focused and and got, you know, in a good position, you can know what you're going to get on every hand. You can trim your deck down to just five cards, and it's always those five cards, hand after hand after hand. So one of the things I really like about this is, you know, you you mentioned the Sneko Eye, which is the one that makes you confused. Um, But, you know, know, that's a super random thing, and you might get it. But there are sort of these... deck constructions you could do. For example, the time that works is when you have a deck that's full of high energy cost things. Um, If you start going down that route, right, Snekoi is one of the things that would do good with that, but they also have a lot of other relics and cards and, you know, different approaches that facilitate that. So, the point being that once i've kind of figure out where i want to go even though i may not get exactly the thing i want to you know get the skull that doubles the poison with every hit right. of it there are enough different things that i've never felt not never i rarely felt feel, feel <laughs> like i am at the whims of complete randomness like like, like i have no agency in that right even if i you know select this thing which will you put random numbers on my cards i've selected that thing and made that choice to go down that path and hearthstone particularly as it's developed over You know, the past however many years has seemed to go very much in the other direction where there is a lot more randomness and it is just sort of, you know, kind of very luck of the draw, even though it's what should be a very stable deck that you're creating. I think it's interesting that you can go into the situation where you don't know how to predict exactly what your path will go, and yet you can create some stability under you as you're constructing that deck as you know more about the game.
1: Well, and I think a big part of that is the stuff that you talked about earlier about World State and Game State, and just in general, the fact that it's a deck-building game in which you're not just building a deck during a single encounter or a uh, a, a single combat or something. You're building it over the course of multiple combat encounters, which means that you can stumble your way or you know, brain genius your way into a mediocre deck that has a way of, of succeeding mm-hmm. and that can get you through some fights with, with some wounds. You can leave it going like, Ooh, I really wish I, I took 20 damage there. I really wish I'd taken 12. I really wish I'd taken five or none. Or, you know, sometimes you'll get the, the luck of the draw and it'll fire the, the way you hoped it would. And you'll come out ahead even sometimes, especially with the defect who gets all these healing powers. Um, and the the but the thing that's so good about it is you can recognize where it's failing and begin to yep. try to right the ship. Yes, you can say oh, my power cost is like way too high right now. Or I better lean in. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to go for things that give me extra energy. I'm going to go for things that help my economy to, to to work better. And you can't do that in a single Hearthstone match, right? You can go back and... No, and, this, is,
2: this is fundamentally a deck builder. And yes. I would argue it's one of the best deck builders because it really exposes those decisions about randomness, about getting the junk out of your deck, about... I mean almost every interesting decision in the game happens in between the combats. The yep. combats themselves are I mean yeah there's there's some experience involved about making sure that you're not wasting cards and and all those sorts of things, but but fundamentally piloting the deck that you go into a combat with is pretty obvious once you once you know how to play this game. The interesting part of this game is what you do in between. It's you know, Do you bother to add another card to your deck or are you nicely tuned and you'll only add something new if it's really going to improve the overall quality of it? And what do you remove and do you invest your gold at the merchant getting rid of crap from your right. deck? Uh, you know, I think those those are really interesting decisions. They're really complicated decisions that have really important impacts in how every run through this game goes Uh in a way that very few strategy games. I, I mean, I actually have, I actually will get a merchant screen sometimes like, uh, you know, I've got 500 gold, which is a lot, right? That's like, you haven't seen the merchant in 15, 20 <laughs> levels, right? And I'll get a merchant screen and I'll have to like, do a push away from the desk and really think for a minute because you can buy those relics. You can buy... There's some cards that I think you pretty much only ever get out of the merchant. Um, at least I've there's some cards I've never seen except at the merchant. Um, and you can use the merchant to get rid of stuff from your deck. And those decisions about what you do that's that to me. That's ugh. That's the good part. That's the even the part. decision of
1: which route am I going to take yeah. through the spire to time out when I think I'll have enough gold to do something at the merchant, or right. when I'm ready to fight an elite. You know, I have I have a question from a playstyle perspective. So one of the
2: things this game does is it scores every run. And if you've been playing this game for a couple hundred hours, like Sean and I have, I'm starting to pay a little bit of attention to, like, having high-score runs, particularly in these their their daily challenges, which sort of give you a preset broken world state that you play through. And they're really fun. And there's a leaderboard, and so I want to get on the leaderboard. At least <laughs> you know, I want to beat Sean on the leaderboard. <laughs> and so I, it, that, that interaction, the points are for, like, how many elites did you fight? How many regulars did you fight, et cetera? The question is... How how much do you lean
1: into the unknown rooms where you don't know what you're gonna get? Right. It depends on what my deck looks like already, right? Um, and how much money I have already. Uh, I I try not to overextend myself in, into the myself into the question mark rooms because so many of them are a miss for me. So many of them yep. are like. You know, they could be beneficial things inside of a given build, but you could hit two or three of them inside of a single level where you end up kind of taking the low cost, low gain thing because the other ones would throw off your build so much or because you didn't have the... There are too many of them that are like, oh, you needed a a 10 damage card or something like that uh, to open a thing. And so I'd move towards enemy encounters more. I still dip my toe, obviously, in the question marks.
3: So... uh... There's a couple of strategies I use around that. One thing is for any given floor, the top of that floor tends to be harder, has the harder hall fights than the bottom of that floor. So if you're on level, you know, you're you're on your first floor, uh I'm not going to take any Question marks. Unless I mean, not going to be aiming at any question marks in the first part of that first floor. Probably towards the second half of that that first floor. Like then, actually, there's there's a good reason to start aiming at them. The other time I do that is when I have some specific things that I want. So some of the things that question mark rooms can can be good for is getting rid of cards, Um, lesser extent upgrading cards, um, and even to a lesser extent than that. Uh, you know, potentially getting relics and getting treasure. If I am in a position where I really am, like I'm hard cutting the deck and I need to get some specific cards upgraded and I know I'm on a path that doesn't have a lot of campfires or I'm going to have to do a lot of resting, I will tend to aim more at the question marks then. Obviously, if you have the Juzu Brace uh, uh, relic (laughs) that, that eliminates the combat, then it becomes a different thing. But, I mean, it goes to your point, which is, I think, it's such an interesting decision. Like, there are all these consistent, is- interesting decisions you're making all the way through the game. Like, I'm constantly reevaluating the map versus what I have versus what my health is like versus what the end boss is going to be and my plan to fight up this corner and go get a bunch of elites because that's where you can get a high score um may shift and it's like oh i need to go into the to the question mark rooms and really hope for some health or some upgrades because my deck's trash um you know (laughs) so i mean i think i think it's it's that approach like there is no I don't think you could ask me a question of, do you X, and I have a set answer that is always the same, which I love that fact. Like, I love that I'm like, you know, all this, but always go for campfires. That's no, don't, maybe, a lot of times, yes, sometimes no. I love that.
0: I want to talk a bit about how the game balances randomness and predictability. We've already talked a little bit about, you know, some of the randomness, the cards you can get, how it affects the deck you build, the question mark rooms, etc., but this is also a game that is very much about predictability, not just in the combats, which... The combats themselves, which, which telegraph you know, what the enemy is going to do sometimes. Uh, sometimes they don't. And there's a relic uh, you can get, which always hides uh, the enemy motives, which I really, really hate. <laughs> uh, I, think it's, I, think, I think it's a bad relic to get. Um, and I've only gotten it when I've dumped my original relic and picked it up, and I was very, very angry. Um, but there's also predictability in... The maps themselves. Your, this isn't a game which will have, where you will encounter new monsters or new creatures. After your, you know, third or fourth time through, you'll be seeing the same monsters with the same powers, the same preventing the same problems, the same obstacles you need to get over. Which of course is good for training you on how to build a deck, how to build specific, how to defeat specific creatures. Uh, so there's a predictability there, which is why. I mean, it's it's put in the roguelike category, and I really don't think (laughs) it is because there is so much predictability in the dungeon crawl itself.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I don't want to get into genre fighting about it. I mean, it's a roguelike only in the sense that you can
1: die. Right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And there's some unlocks and things like that.
0: Predictability versus randomness. I mean, I think there's a really interesting balance here.
1: Yeah. The only thing I want to say in defense of the rogue whatever uh, categorization is if you like certain rogue lights, i can imagine you liking this game and and even if you haven't played a card game like this before a deck builder like this before if you liked figuring out builds in binding of isaac based on the relics in that or if you enjoyed figuring out builds in ftl and i'm really speaking towards rogue lights here because roguelikes are such a, a a different beast um you should try this game. If you're listening to this and going, ah, I've never really thought about deck builders. If those sorts of decisions where you're saying, oh, do I want to make my my ship in FTL really focused on missiles, which can get through shields, or do I want to double deck, but it has this resource cost, or do I want to double down, blah, blah, blah. If that sort of thinking, and if you're listening to three months ahead... It's probably true. You should play this game um, because because it t- it scratches a lot of those those itches, even if it doesn't scratch right. some of those other ones. That's all I want to say on yeah, the, I, the I, distinction. So I, I, I think
0: FTL is a very good parallel.
1: Yeah, I think Go FTL ahead. is a, a very good parallel for a lot of reasons. Partially
2: because yeah. it does you know the things you do to your ship there. Help mitigate the randomness, right. right. Yes. And I think that that's that's exactly what happens in this. you know the the ways you can as a player mitigate randomness really come down to two things. One is the more things you have that are persistent, the less randomness you have, so you know one one of the types of cards here is a power. A power is something you play and then gives you a game state. So it might be like you always have plus one defense at the beginning of a turn or something like that. Um, so when you load up on powers, your plays become much more predictable because you know by the time you've drawn through the deck of cards two three times, you've got most of your powers out, and that's a game state you know you will get at some point in the game. Um, likewise, investing heavily in relics those mm-hmm. change the world state. So you go into every combat knowing something about the game state. The other thing is the smaller you let your deck be, the more you know what you're going to get next, right? And if you have a deck that only has 10, 12, 15 cards, and you're towards the end game, and those are all really good cards, you're going to crush because you're always going to see those cards over and over again, sometimes two, three times in one turn, if you're if you've got a lot of card drawing going on. So... This game, it does have the randomness, which is mostly about uh, what what combats you end up with, what relics you get handed, what cards you get to pick, and then the draws themselves. That sounds like a lot of randomness, uh, but it doesn't actually feel very random to me at all.
3: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I. I... It's interesting because I think one of the one of the things I really like about this uh, game is that that you can learn it. That experience has benefit mm-hmm. playing Slay the Spire. So you were talking about the the relic, uh, Runic Dome, which takes away your ability to see what your enemies are going to do. I somewhere about the hundred and twenty hour mark, I switched, and I love <laughs> Runic Dome. <laughs> because like okay. the the amount of uncertainty i have about what most enemies are going to do like even if i'm not exactly sure what i've i've really kind of gotten to the point where i have enough experience you know fighting uh you know the the you know the the awoken one or whatever to understand what his pattern is likely to be and how you know what degree of damage he can do in the worst case. So if I have a deck where I have lots of high value defense cards and mostly what I'm doing is you know I put a couple of poisons out there and let them just sit, and most of the time I spend is just going to be defense anyway. And I've got a good enough deck where I've gotten to that. I don't care what they're going to do or I can, you know, or I can get to the point where I can predict it and say, okay, on this turn, uh, because this guy, the the, the big eyeball looking thing that puts up the shields, he goes back and forth one turn. He puts up shields. The next right. turn he does like He's... 10 damage. The next turn he does 10 right. times two damage and then back through the cycle. So I can just kind of keep track of it. Um, I think the game works like that in a lot of ways. The more you're aware of, what all the relics are, and what all the different options are, and what the end bosses are, and what they do, and what their patterns are—like there's a pattern recognition thing here. Now, another thing that's really interesting is I don't think. Pre- so, so what frustrates me a lot about a lot of card games is the randomness—is the decision about whether you win or lose, right? If you had a, the higher the predictability in some games, it feels like the more likely you're just going to win because you already know what's going to happen. I don't think that's true here. I think there is still, like, this is a strategy game, too, to me, right? If you don't have a sufficient enough strategy, if you don't develop and kind of evaluate where you've been and what you're likely to need next, that predictability isn't going to necessarily save you if you haven't set the stage for being able to
2: execute. But it builds so beautifully, and that's what I love about it, because in the beginning, like each one of these choices becomes a choice that you're making in the context of all the choices you've made before. So it's not the case that it's always obvious what to do next. Right When presented with a choice of three cards at the end of a combat, and you're 30 levels in... It's very rarely obvious exactly which card. Sometimes it is. It's this one that's upgraded, and it's straight down the path you're building. And that's great when that happens. It's not unsatisfying at all to get handed that gift. But most of the time, it's a really interesting decision.
1: Are there any cards that the three of you will say yes to regardless of build? I always come back to this idea of, like, you can know a card is broken in a card game when every deck runs it, right? Uh, And... I'm curious if there's something for you in this game that's like that.
3: For me, it's adrenaline and whatever off, mm. offering for uh, the uh, Ironclad. Those are basically S-
1: similar
2: idea. FTL yeah. for the reject.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yes. F- yes. Free, yeah. free cards card that, that let you draw a bunch of cards for a very low cost and 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 a lot of value. Like those, those are almost no-brainers to me in almost every case.
2: Yeah. So F, I mean, like FTL does 5 damage so it's a crappy attack card but if you play it as one of your first couple cards it replaces itself. So mm-hmm. like if you could build an entire deck out of nothing but right. those, you'd win constantly. Right. Like if you had 20 of those, heck if you had 6 of those, you'd just <laughs> you just win every game.
3: Totally. How about you?
1: Uh it's all, it's same things. It's it <clears throat> it's card draw. It's the it is it is adrenaline. Um in the I'm trying to think if there's anything in the relic side. I I mean there's a lot of relics that are just positive most of the time right like i think judy's bracelet is one of those where i'm never like no 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 leaving the possibility that i'll get jumped in a question mark block
2: most of the most of the max life relics yes very rarely like mango which is i think the plus 14 life relic right the healing relics it's i almost can't imagine a world where i would not take the mango Hmm.
1: (laughs) put it on the box yeah. <laughs> Always take the mango. <laughs> Always take the
3: Always mango. Always take the mango. Um, yeah, I mean, energy is another one. Like, you never... There may be a time where you can't play all of your energy, but you. I can't think of a situation where you're like, oh, no, I still have two energy <laughs> left, and now that's why I'm going to lose or something like that. Right. I mean, it's, so, I mean, I think one of the interesting things is how there's a lot more trade-off, it feels like, in the cards than yeah. there are in the relics. The relics are... Right, there are times where you may run across a relic that is just not compatible with your build, but that is really fairly rare. Um, and, I can and, come up
1: with one relic that actually okay. that I didn't want to take energy with, Snec-Olias which is the one, it's okay,
3: one but,
1: and then also the the velvet collar, which says you get yeah. you get oh, only yeah. play six cards per. But like and mm-hmm. and. That's an interesting one where I, I once took it in a build that could have gone either way, and suddenly I had two or three cards that were about energy that I had like I didn't want to get rid of them, because in my heart, like more energy <laughs> is good. but it was not conducive to continue building in that direction, you know. Uh, yeah. To be clear, the velvet for people who don't obviously who, who are, are just listening to us, the velvet collar reduces the it says you can only play six cards, and in exchange. God, you get energy. You, you get, get, one get energy. energy. You get, right. Yeah, so that's the thing. It does the thing. It's just also... I think one
2: of the more interesting mechanics that's in this that is really very unique to this game, I can't think of another card game or another PC game that does this. There are some cards, the most recent one, um, because I've been playing a ton of the Reject, is Claw, um, mm-hmm. where... It, they they self reinforce. The more you play them, the better they get. Yes. There's a couple of them that you the more you play them, the cheaper they get. And some of them are just within that combat. So like you know, if you play a claw, the next time you play a claw, it will be worth more, et cetera. Some of them are forever. Like there's, I can't remember the name of it, but there's god, a block what is that one? card yes. where yeah. you play it once and then it exhausts. But then if you play it again, it's more valuable forever. So by the time you get to like the floor forty nine, if you were lucky enough to pull that early in the game, you're paying one power for like a thirty block or something yeah. like that. Genetic and algorithm. Forbid, you get that yep. in a deck that also has some way to get it out of the exhaust pile. So you're playing it multiple times a game. Oh, good god! <laughs> oh.
1: Yeah,
3: that's so, great. One of the things I notice we haven't talked about, and to me, this is, it's probably the weakest part of the game. It's the part I care the least about, which is not to say it's bad. It's just, we've been talking for a half hour and nobody's brought up potions. So I'm curious where you guys land on Potions, which is a whole other additional mechanic well, that's in mechanic. this game. Explain yeah. mechanics. So, so potions are an additional thing that you can deploy at any time in your fight, and you collect them either from ends of fight. You can buy them from the store, and they do some relatively minor things that can be really good in a moment. For example, you can get a potion that deals ten damage to all enemies, and it's gone. You can get a, a potion of block that gives you like twelve block at a for a single turn, and it's gone. And they you know they've they've been amping those up and adding more and more. I find I'll get three potions, or if I have the the thing that gives you five potions, I'll have five potions, and they'll just sit there till I remember potions are a thing.
1: Can I suggest why?
3: yes you're very good at this game.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, potions are super I, I good. I you
3: went with that. <laughs> they're, so
1: they're really good as a learning tool for two reasons. One, okay. um, you know, we said earlier that, oh, the game, it's not about execution so much. It's not about piloting the deck. Well, if, if you're new to this style of game, which a lot of people who I've seen try it are, it, it can be about that. You can make major misplays and take more damage in an encounter than you're supposed to. And so it can be really useful for those players to have a potion to add some block in a later thing. Uh, or, or they may they've built a deck where they, for whatever reason, they've collected cards that do bonuses when your opponent has vulnerable or weakness or, or something. Well, now they happen to have a potion that does that, and they're learning what those status effects are. And they're able to do that with, with certain statuses that their deck would just never see otherwise. They're learning what dexterity is. They're learning what plated armor is through those potions instead of needing to build towards that. And then they can, like, in the next run, hey, I remember what plated armor is. I want to pick up this card. I th- I think it's a
2: it's it's a mechanic that
1: I would say in 6 out of 8 runs,
2: 3 out of 4 runs is pretty much irrelevant, but then there'll be that one run where I rely on potions to get me through a rough spot. The one of the cool things about the daily challenge that they do is that they mess with your expectations about the game. And one of the recent daily challenges gave you five. The only thing it gave you new was five alchemized uh, spells, which are their one casting cost thing that gives you a potion. So you're con- you have this constant source of new potions all the time. And that actually really changed my opinion because now I had a strategy that was basically built around knowing I was going to get three new potions roughly on average in every single combat, so I was willing to take all sorts of risks I would normally not take, and it was really fun. So I think it's a good mechanic. I I, I agree with Austin that I think it is a, a bit of a crutch, um, especially if you start buying potions and the like, buying regen potions from the merchant and stuff. I think it's a way of getting through rough spots. But I think it's also a cool mechanic in itself, and I think they'll do more interesting stuff with it. I mean, the patching, we should talk a little bit about that. This game is changing every freaking three days. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Is that a positive or a negative for you? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. And, I mean, so, again, we, we kind of alluded to it before. There are two branches. There's the main branch. If you buy the game and just load it up, you'll go on the main branch. There's also the beta branch where, that you can opt into um, where there is literally a patch every day, like every single day, maybe multiple patches of just, you know, where they're working, you know, tweak the cards or, you know, like when the, the defect first released on the beta branch for what, like a month ago, half the cards didn't even have art on them. And and it's, if you are into that constant sort of at the edge of the envelope uh, uh, you know, constant adjustment of the game. That's the I, I love that that option is there. Still, like I, I've I've talked about it before on our our show. This is actually one of my favorite things about early access games. It's one of the reasons I play early access games and buy them is because I love this environment where it feels like, um, you know, there's there's a play experience that it is a basic level very fun. Right. And, there's, you know, it applies to Slate the Spire. It's applied to, you know, a lot of my favorite early access games. Um, but like that, that unpredictability, that sense of next week, I'm going to be playing a slightly different game that's got new stuff and potentially new cards. And there's lots of changes like I totally get into that. It makes me it, it, it makes me consta, constantly constantly go back and reevaluate the decisions I'm going to make at those interesting decision moments, because suddenly, you know, the card that when you exhaust a card, you get five block is now you only get three block. And so now does that change the relative value of that versus something else? I love that. We are all in agreement here about, about the updates.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: So where do we stand on the character balance? We have, we have a fighter, we have a rogue, we have a robot. Uh, the robot's relatively new. I haven't, don't have a whole lot of runs in with the cyborg defect. I guess the names are Ironclad, Silent, and the defect, but I just think of them as fighter, rogue, and robot. Mm-hmm. Um, where do we stand on the balance between them? Would you have a favorite, one you like more than the others? If, if I find an easier deck... Like, I, I like the Silent. I like a poison build. Poison yeah. builds are do a whole lot of damage uh, quite easily. Um, so that's my preference, but it's the only thing that I've ever won with, is the silence. So it might be just a little <laughs> bit of, a little, a little bit of you know, playing toward the crowd there. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, that worked for me once, but not for me again. Uh, I haven't had a lot of luck with it. I, I've gotten, I think, to the third floor, but not very far up it.
1: Um, um, I'm definitely yeah. a silent person too. I, I think maybe the defect could dethrone her eventually if I put more time into him. But but there is so much. There's so much card movement on the silent, especially one of my favorite builds, which is a choke build, um, choke or finisher. Lots of low cost. So so choke is a card that it's a two cost card that says. Oh, do you're the, the you're gonna do damage each time that you play another card this turn to whichever card you target or whichever enemy you targeted with choke. And then finisher gains in strength for each card that you play. And there's some relics that can tie into this and or and powers also that can do damage every time you play a card. And so I really love builds uh, for the for the uh, the silent that fill her hand with zero cost low damage cards like shivs. Um, or things like Flash of Steel, which is like, do a little bit of damage and draw a card, um, uh, that do low damage but that build up these big, almost like finishing moves, or that do kind of damage over time, kind of uh, accumulated damage. Um, And it's just lots of card movement, lots of draw, lots of generating new cards, lots of spending, lots of deciding do I want to save this card? Do I want to put this shift back in my deck so it doesn't exhaust so that I can get a really heavy turn out of it next turn? And that really scratches a serious, just like, again, that feeling of playing Magic with someone being like, I'm going to play this, I'm gonna play this, I'm gonna play this, and then I'm gonna play these four cards, then so I'm gonna draw two cards and drop those, and now you're done. Uh except now I get to keep my friends because it's a single player game and no one gets mad at me for doing this. Uh so yeah, that's yeah, definitely I,
3: silent for me. I yeah, I'm I'm I I I'm hoping Julian you go somewhere else because I'm also silent. Oh no as, I'm as all private. about the,
2: I'm all about the, the defect.
3: Yeah, good, oh, good. No, um, I, the,
2: because to me, I, so the ship build was my favorite build for the silent for sure. And yes. I, and I think that may be the, the optimal build actually for the silent. Um, I think poison is very hit or miss. Like if you don't get the sneak eye, yeah. I think, I, I think it can be tough, um, or the skull rather. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the defect sets up the craziest combos. And that's why I love him so much. Like you can end up with these builds that you're halfway through and all of a sudden something clicks and you're like, oh, I now have a build that, you know, basically auto generates a hundred block every turn. Yay. (laughs) And, you know, you end up with these broken game states really early. Like that happens with all the characters. At some point you'll get that point where it's everything's finely tuned and, and pretty much you're just going to, you know, you're going to win all the way through the end. There it happens in a really interesting way with the defect. I just love the the timing and the pacing of it.
1: So no Ironclad fans here. No one who's like, I really love
3: Ironclad's fan. Fine, like there's some. There are some legitimately very strong builds that yeah, you like can a do with strength. So I've actually for the Ironclad, it's great. Yeah. yeah. It, it, um yeah, and, and I know people like there's a lot of people who who tend to find that easier. I've been doing Ascension Runs, which is essentially like an end game is there in game progression for Slay the Spire where each time you win, you go up an, a, an Ascension level and it throws something else at you. So, you know, Ascension 1, it's more, you know, elites are on the map. Ascension 2 is, I don't know, like your potions don't, like happens later. Potions don't work as good. You don't fully heal at the end of things. Like it, it keeps kind of ramping these things up and adding mm. these elements. Um, you know, I found that the Ironclad was, just for the way I played it, great over those first five and then it's power curve or at least the way I play it has dipped off as the silent becomes a lot more stable huh. to me. I think that, you know, there's the, the builds I find for the silent are just at least more naturally go to my play style. Um, which, I mean, you mentioned the poison build. I We could, we could have a whole <laughs> half hour argument about why you're wrong about the poison build. Uh, because it is <laughs> it, by my experience, like just, even if it's just chipping away a little bit at a time, um you know you can you can craft so much uh just block around that and play two cards and then just wait till everything's dead um but so you know i I, I love that like the, the 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 ironclad's good uh it just my my play style is better suited by the silent and probably the defect frankly as a second.
2: What I'd like to see more is more variety in the enemies. Um, yeah, you know, I I, I yep. get a little bit t- yep. I mean, and also, can we just say fuck the gremlin knob? Yo, yeah. fuck the gremlin knob! Oh,
3: good <laughs> I'm god! With you. completely. A, it may be the most difficult part yeah. of so the game. It, it is so early. So early.
2: Uh, yeah, you usually encounter the, so the gremlin knob is like an eighty-ish health single combat guy. He doesn't have minions around him or anything like that. And his shtick is pretty simple. He starts out relatively strong... And he gets stronger every time you do something other than attack. Basically, anytime you play a skill card, which the defect has a little bit of an av- reject, whatever he is, has a little bit of an advantage <laughs> there because some of his stuff doesn't need skills off the bat, or you can sometimes get a few orbs out before his little ability triggers. Um, also, the defect builds tend to have powers which don't trigger his stupid. Right. Every time you play a skill, I get stronger right. thing. Yep. Um, But ultimately, the number of times I've had a really solid build going and I just get a handful of skill cards and I'm just like, oh, I guess I'm just dying
1: on level eight
2: this time. (laughs) Screw that guy.
1: He's so early. Um, I will say just jumping off of that uh, to talk about something we haven't talked about at all yet is I actually – while I want more enemy types. I really love the game's aesthetic. Um, it would be really easy to make a much oh, yeah. more cartoony or much more grim, dark version of this game. It doesn't stick the landing. I love the character designs. I love the backgrounds. I love oh, the music. Yeah, for sure, I don't want to change that at all. Yeah, that stuff is so good. Uh, and something like the like the the gremlin knob is great because. it he communicates exactly what he is in his design, which is the big fuck off bruiser who wants to ruin my day with a big <laughs> stick. And it just, it works. It, it sells it uh, perfectly. And some of the, the stranger, more like um, artifact y creatures, the like weird walking shells that have eyes poking through one of their many holes, or the kind of, uh, macab- it has, definitely has a sort of magic to gathering b- breadth of what fantasy is. It isn't just, you know, orcs and demons and, you know what I i mean in elves or whatever it's a very specific um it it somehow reminds me of like china mielville's uh, fantasy of just like this is like a scary weird dystopian fantasy city is what's happening here with all sorts of pull you know what i mean yeah um so please give me more in the extended slay the spire universe uh you can send my novel to (laughs) blah know, etc
2: yeah. Does anybody have any idea what that right now when you log into the game, you get two things. You get play the game, which is just the Slay the Spire roguelite thing. Um, and as Sean said, once you've beaten each character, to each tower once, then you go up at these ascension levels. And I'm sort of working through, I'm like ascension level three in all three characters-ish. I haven't finished out any of them. Then there's the middle thing that you can select, which is a daily challenge, which is... I don't think I've missed one since Sean told me to buy this game. I love it so much. And then there's this <laughs> third thing, which I don't think even in the beta build, we have any idea what it is yet. Do we have any idea what that third game
1: mode is?
3: No any clue. No, I don't I don't think so.
1: No. Do you? It well, sounds like you might have some theories. What, what, no, I have uh, no idea. Yeah,
3: like, I don't even remember what it says. It says, company, it what it says is it not called? available. Oh, hmm. yeah. What would you hmm. like it to be?
2: Well... I will say it's intriguing to think about what this game would be like multiplayer. Sure. I, it, uh, yeah. My suspicion is the answer would be train wreck. How would but... they pull that off? <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, I think that would be really hard to pull off. Um but at the same time it seems like it seems like that would have to be kind of the obvious way. To, I don't know if it's that obvious. I can't I can't picture myself like how would you how would you even approach a multiplayer approach? Like the fundamental thing, the thing that the glue that holds this together is so much that it is. So you against sort of a predictable series of barriers. Um, Don't know. Yeah. I I don't, that's, that's that's the interesting thing. This is just from a bigger sense is like, if you ask me what I still want from this game, like, maybe, I don't know, more characters down the road or something like that. You know, more monsters to fight. But, like, there's no obvious missing component that, like, this, like, we got to be getting close to release of this thing. I'm not sure how much, you know, for, aside from just sort of basic card balance for the defect in particular, which is relatively new enough. Um This feels fleshed out and full to me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, It's not on my iPad. I guess is the
0: thing that I
3: (laughs) yeah Yeah, change. But that's about it. This would be an
0: outstanding mobile game,
3: I think. Oh yeah, that's got to be in the mix. That's got to be on the plan.
1: (laughs) I hope so. I listen. I'm about to be in a plane to go to E3, and the fact that I'm not going to have it on my on my iPad is (laughs) very sad. So, any last uh, thoughts? Any last? uh, I mean, this is.
0: I think this is one of my favorite games of the year so far. It's up there with Into the Breach and Battletech, uh, but I can't say Battletech because my company makes Battletech. It's up there with Into the Breach, and I think I don't think it's coincidental that they both have you know, similar uh, planning mechanics. They both have both short sessions, which really has become so, so important to me as I get older and busier in the evenings, just having something I can do for 40 minutes before I go to sleep. <laughs> um that's and I so if you're someone who's busy or who needs you know just something to unwind with uh, I think spire is kind of the perfect game for that um, and you do learn uh, as you go it really is an excellent t- teaching game um, and anybody can pick this up very 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 easily yeah uh, you won't get I, I'm still not good at it uh, by any means I I'm a greedy little elf, and then I just pick up all the relics and cards, which is, not, which is not the best way to plan a deck. But I'm still—I I got my sixty hours in, so I'm uh, still working my way through. And I, I do love it quite a bit. Um, any final words of praise for the what are those, this company made? Do we know? I, Good
1: question. I, I, so I don't I know this. No all I
2: know this is just one woman in her basement grinding this thing out. I know nothing about the company.
3: Well, I think it's I think it's primarily like two developers. I think it's just basically that idea which is two guys working in their basement or whatever. I but I, I don't know for sure. I feel like I've heard that before. Um,
1: it's, it's wild if that's the case because it's such a well-tuned game that I feel like I need I need to know what they've shipped or what they have like I well, need to
0: know. Well, I just <laughs> checked their webpage. They are two guys
1: <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, with a few collaborators.
1: Okay. Uh, one of those two runs a, a, a community website for Netrunner, uh, so that's, that is, that's and has, had, and has, ha- and has right. let that community t- uh, be part of the the kind of testing player base for this game, which again makes perfect sense to me. Good on them.
3: Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I will. I will say as, as sort of my my final thought on the matter. Um, I, I will go that step where it's not just one of my favorite games so far this year. This is my favorite game so far. Oh this yeah, year. Wow. for sure, sort of, hands full, down, full stop. Uh, I I I love. I love every like almost everything about it and, and we didn't spend enough time on the aesthetic and we didn't spend enough time on the art because those are those are so like it, 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 there's nothing quite like this visually well, there's then, nothing take, quite take, like this from Take the this delivery.
0: opportunity to talk about the art and the aesthetic.
3: Well, I mean I I think you know just it, 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 it's surrealness is part of its charm and i think that's what you were getting at austin which is you know these aren't it's not elves right the character design from the fundamental like we think of them as the fighter and the thief and, and or the mage or whatever and and the robot um but it doesn't feel like like the silent one of the things i love about the silent is it's just this sort of creepy guy who or girl who wears a bone helmet and (laughs) is in a cloak and it's just it's not stereotypical there's nothing to me that's stereotypical about the aesthetic and while it's not you know it's not trying to wow you with flashy design um, it it, it is sort of oozing with personality Um, what if the boss
0: is a slime blob with a top hat
3: Right, it's yes, true. where did that that's top hat true. come from? I, I love that or, or, or choice, or the so much. uh, the
2: giant uh, Italian sculpture head lying flat on the ground, <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, it's so good, or the
3: donut, the evil donut. There's the an evil of the donut. Game.
1: I really i am a big fan of the book that opens up and a big ethereal arm comes out that's just holding right. a knife, Poison stab it will just yeah, stab you, it is. yeah, yeah, yeah oh it's so good it's so good and the the card the card art also incredibly good especially in the beta build where sometimes you get programmer art uh (laughs) that is very goofy and i'm a fan of that every time i can have it (laughs) So we sound unified. We sound like everyone yeah. here thinks it's at least one of their favorite games of the year, if not their favorite so far. Uh, I'm so I cannot recommend it more highly. Again, if you listen to this podcast, you are the yeah, target by demographic definition. You will love this. this game. Even if you only came to listen to it to this podcast because one of us plugged <laughs> it, uh, you are the target demographic for this game. And it's a very affordable
0: game too. It's under twenty dollars. Uh, it is a great, great bargain.
1: Apparently if you get a couple hundred hours out of it especially. Yeah. What are you yeah. at, John? You over 300 yet?
3: Uh no, no, I'm at I'm at 216. Oh, oh that's I'm all. catching up. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, all right. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> oh, there is a competitive mode it sounds. That sounds like yeah, yeah, just,
1: <laughs> how many hours can you put in? Perfect.
3: Well,
0: thank you all uh, for listening. This has been Three Moves Ahead, which, as usual, has been produ- will have been produced by the excellent and outstanding Mr. Michael Hermes. Three Moves Ahead is brought to you by our Patreon donors. If you'd like to support this podcast uh, and the things we try to do here, uh, check out our Patreon at patreon.com 3MA. And if you're inclined to talk to people, which not all of you are, we do have a forum at idlefums.net And you can check our archive of all other shows at 3movesahead.net. For Julian, Austin, and Sean, I am Troy Goodfellow, signing out.